Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What, a comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. This is episode 47, and the first part of a two-part podcast with Graham McMillan and I talking Steve Englehart's The Strangers, as well as the 90s Universe line of comics, more gossip about DC's upcoming relaunch in September, Warren Ellis' thoughts on Same, Ultimate Spider-Man 160, and the casting of the pilot for Brian Bendis' powers. We hope you enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. Softly scented breezes are blowing in off the wide Pacific Ocean as the special light shining only on San Francisco suffuses the world's favorite city. That's right, Jeff. I'm quoting the first caption from Steve Englehart's The Strangers from 1994. Oh did, my- you, did you know that San Francisco is the world's favorite city? Of, well, of course I did. He calls it that not once but twice in the first issue. <laughs> Like, like it's a thing. I lived there for like seven years. I never heard it called that. <laughs> you know, maybe it was a maybe it was a thing that Englehart was trying to get going there. His new little. I was wondering if he'd like just moved there, and like it was his own personal opinion. Someone was like, "Hey, how do you like San Francisco?" And he's like, "Oh, it's it's awesome. Why don't why doesn't everyone love? I mean, it's got to be the world's favorite city." Wait. I should put that in this terrible comic I'm about to write. <laughs> yes, apparently he could not wait one second more. Uh, it, it's The rest of the comic, by the way, lives up to that opening. <coughs> oh my goodness. I'm sure, well, you know, I admit, I have not read The Strangers, nor actually any of the Ultraverse. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of why I got it. This is This is how I ended up reading The Strangers. Also, by the way, hello. Things I just launched straight into the spectacular opening of The Strangers. Um, I was reading, God, something online about Engelhart. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go to his website. I think this is actually after you and I were talking last week about whether John Warner was Steve Engelhart. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I went to his website, and it's, he's got his comic section. And I was like, wow, he wrote an awful lot of stuff for the Ultraverse. And it's late period Engelhart, which. Uh, I have this incredible fondness for and I've never read any of it. I'll see if they've got any cheap back issues at Excalibur. And then when you find out that all of the back issues they have are under a dollar, it was oh. kind of it was kind of like, oh Graham, why don't you buy me? <laughs> <laughs> so seriously, I got like the first nine issues. Mm-hmm. Um it's spectacular. It's I mean it's you know what it feels like it feels like everything he wanted to do with the new guardians which as you know is a weird favorite of mine yes uh but never got the chance by which I mean there's a gay character who he's he's uh, his boyfriend's got AIDS except it's not AIDS it turns into cancer halfway through he seemed like it pretty much starts off with them being like well he's got AIDS and then later he dies and they're like it was cancer <laughs> and so I'm not quite sure what's going on there um but one of the female characters is literally a sex bot. A sex bot who achieves sentience and calls herself Candy. Wow. Wow. You know, I, without meaning to drag us uh, off topic too much, what the hell is it with these sex bots uh, achieving sentience? You know what I mean? Like, doesn't it seem like that's kind of the story whenever you've got like a sex spot thrown in there like <laughs> well, not, really but, but generally where else are you going to go with a sex spot that's not creepy well 
No, I think that it's still creepy. I mean, it's just that kind of idea okay, of like it's somebody not, it's not creepy. See, and this is the problem: is like guys totally want to write about sex bots, but they don't want to come off as creeps. And then it's this whole like, oh, well, I got to do something that like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like I want to write about a wet T-shirt contest, but not in a sexy way. What can I do to get out of this little conundrum? The T-shirt achieves <laughs> exactly by being splashed with water repeatedly, and then the fountain of youth is involved and conquistadors you know I, I mean, say that, I'm sorry there's a story there <laughs> a wet t-shirt contest where the, the water is come from the fountain of youth seriously all you have to do is go and it was carried there in the holy grail and like you've got <laughs> <laughs> see and this is what I mean like people put that stuff out and they're like it's not trashy at all it's got the holy grail and the fountain of youth it's like a Tim Powers book but with the titties you know, I mean, like, there's no idea that 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 a sex bot achieving sentience covers your tracks in no, no, any no, way. No, no, but here's the thing: it's Engelhart, so it's it almost embraces the creep. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because Eng- I mean, remember Engelhart's Green Lantern Corps, one of the weirdest, creepiest pervy books in the world. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I and, think, and, and it's kind of like it's kind of like that. So this sex bot achieves sentience and is and rejects the man who built her. Mm-hmm. But then gets in this, like, completely creepy relationship with another of the heroes. And is, and is who completely objectifies her, but also sort of other members of the cast, including the gay man. <laughs> I mean, there's no way that he can't, that Engelhart can't on some level know that, like, this is creepy and he is completely getting his creep on. There, there's, It's impossible. I really want a Steve Engelhart like, getting his creep on since 1984, like, T-shirt or something. <laughs> or whenever we can figure out where the creep factor really well, started. I, you've, I mean, are you going to go all the way back to the vision of Scarlet Witch? You know, maybe I'm weird, but I don't think... I think, actually, I think Mantis was probably creepier than Vision. Oh, but yeah, Mantis is, is completely creepy. Here is... Um, the, the sentient sex bot's uh, explanation of what she is. I'm a boy toy, Hugh. I'm not a real person. I'm what they call an android. I was built to give men pleasure, but something's changed in me. For the first time I can think, I think. Wow. Wow. Oh, oh, oh wow indeed, my friend. Well, you know, it, it does. It kind of reminds me of, like... um just that sort of weird realization about the baby boomers, you know, like the, the, like you read like biographies of like, I don't know, the Beatles or the mamas and the papas or whatever. And these guys were supposed to be like what you think of as the hippie enlightened males or whatever. Oh yeah. And they're, and they're completely not. I oh, mean, not the, even the, close. It, yeah. But yeah, to like an almost comedic opposites degree. Yeah. Yeah, just like, oh, he beat me and gave me scabies and, you know, was upset well, that, that I slept with someone else. It's and... just that, like, I remember the first time I found out, like, what John Lennon was actually like. Mm-hmm. And there really was this moment of, what? <laughs> totally, like, <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> no, I mean, what? You're lying, right? And it's like, <laughs> well, everyone in the world must have been lying. Because John Lennon was just such a dick. Right. Right, no, oh, he's I, such an incredible dick. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, but yeah, there was kind of that thing of. I mean, it is sort of a relief that I feel like we've really come a long way. In that, you look back at those dudes, and 
they must have been progressive by the yardstick of the time, which is kind of horrifying. You exactly. Know I mean? It's like, wow, what a terrible yardstick that must have been. <laughs> Seriously, that yardstick was totally like, I would like to be able to not work uh, as a woman. No, like, as a woman, I would like to actually be able to do something more than birth babies. Um, okay, great. You're in the club. Yeah. You know? can, can you can you make that happen? <laughs> Is there any possibility that that can happen? Yeah, it's it's just... So yeah, Englehart, who I think of as like this real sort of, you know, part of the classic, you know, Marvel 70s, I don't know, kind of progressive humanist superhero comic book writers, the stuff that comes out of his mouth past a certain decade, it's just like, oh, oh. And you know he's thinking that he's trailblazing with that shit, too. You know. Well, no, that's just it. Like, quite clearly, Engelhardt is like, look at me, I am so transgressive. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things where, I mean, there, there's genuinely a lot of stuff to like in The Strangers. Um, but almost all of it you have to like from the, uh, not ironic, but you have to sort of like it in the context of, oh, it's Steve Engelhardt, if that makes sense. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you like it because it's because you already like his overblown writing and the ring. You know, you you can't. And put this way, no one would read this and come to having never read any Steve Englehart before mm-hmm. and come away thinking that's a progressive comic book and a writer I want to see more of. Right. But if you have read Englehart's other stuff, I think it's really easy to read it and be like, yeah, that's actually pretty good, late Englehart. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, this is one of the things that I was thinking of after you had mentioned that uh, uh, on Gmail, I guess, the other day that you had you had picked up the strangers and had been reading them. Like, in theory, the Ultraverse, which had been sort of put together as a kind of anti-image, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just a, I kind of want to read so much more of the Ultraverse, seeing the people involved. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's it. That's what they wanted. They were like, let's put, you know... The, let's make this a writer's universe, not like an artist's universe. Let's make it shared. Let's we're gonna have like, you know, meetings where we're all going to get together and like work out the backstory of the universe and how all the pieces fit. And supposedly, people who worked on it considered it some of their hands down like, you know, their best working experiences. And it's people like Engelhart and Gerber and guys that I totally adored growing up. And yet, I did not get within a hundred feet of those books, you know. Well, yeah, there's something very. Um, do you remember when David Michelini, or however you say his name, and Bob Layton uh, got together to do a book recently, like maybe a couple of years ago? Oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was an element of like <laughs> yeah. they were they were very much hiding it, uh, hyping it as if you liked our earlier stuff, you should see what we do now that the shackles are off. Yeah, but. Almost everyone else in the world looked at it and said, wow, remember those guys who used to be good? Seriously? I guess this is their retirement plan. <laughs> there, there's, there's an element of that about the Ultraverse. Like, it's it's, right. it's quite clearly not their best work. Right. But they're having such fun doing it. Right. Like, Eggleheart is quite clearly having a ball doing this comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, you know, there's because of the way that the Malibu were structuring the books, like, there, there's strips from other series like occasionally make appearances right like the fifth issue has also got um rune by barry windsor smith in there mm-hmm. uh 
and there's also crossovers with uh, Hard Case because you know it was the nineties, um, and Prototype, who's Iron Man, um, and they seem like fun enough characters. Every single character is incredibly derivative, right? Um, but everyone seems to be having an awful lot of fun, and it's a weirdly in this day and age where, let's face it, there's not an awful lot of comic books where people seem to be having fun doing them. Mm. Like, there is something really seductive about that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose... But again, I'm not sure if any of them are good. Right, right. Well, see, and that's it. That's sort of why I'm kind of curious about it. I knew there were a lot of people who were like, yeah, you should definitely check out Gerber's... Whatever, Sludge. The swamp. Sludge, yeah, exactly. His non-swamp thing. Swamp Thing book or Man Thing book. Um, I, you know, and I'm just like, man, I just, uh, I, I've not, I've not made the plunge. I sort of envy and both am terrified of the fact that you live so close to a shop. Excalibur. Yeah, which really yeah, which does. Has, which has an incredibly good back issue section. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and really affordably priced too. I mean, I'm still making my way through the mosaic and zombie issues I picked up there. You know, and um, you know. Because I do, I'm like, wow, it'd really just kind of be that easy. Just go down there, drop 20 or 40 bucks, and walk back with a period of really stinky comic book history. So, um, Speaking of which, what was Leighton and Michelini's line? I keep thinking like it's it uh, like I, I, I angrily know. viable comics or something like that, or... You know, <laughs> uh, I was, was the comic not called Free Mind, or am I completely imagining? I don't, I don't. I just remember the. Oh, thing. that's that's quite clearly not what it was called. Because I just googled, and the first thing I got was a Michelin retailer discount tire company in Leighton, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it was called Free Mind. Was it? Yeah. Huh. 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 Yeah, I I have no idea what the comic what the company was called though. Yeah, it it was something it was something like you know, we're not old and we're not, you know, obsolescent damn it comics or something. Cuz I just remember seeing things where like it was like Bob Layton gave a lot of like really angry interviews at one point. I think it was Bob Layton. Where I was just well, kind of well, like what what else is he going to do? Dude, no, I totally get it. well, I don't know. He can't also, Dick Giordano did art for um Free Mind. Yeah, we'll see. That's it. They they rounded up Dino all those guys. All, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Oh, they're called Future Comics. Ah, yes, of course they are. Of course they Future are. Future Comics with titles with names like Free Mind and Death Mass. I was about to say <laughs> Future Comics, as only a, an, an imprint formed by people in their mid fifties can be called. You know what I mean? Like, but it's got it's got to have been really um, depressing, I guess. To have been those guys, because think about it. Like even as late as the nineties, when they're doing Valiant, like Bob Layton was quote unquote hot. Yeah, yeah, no. I totally uh, and then it. and then the market crashed, and they're like, "Oh, we just can't, we just can't sell anything." Yeah, yeah, we kind of can't give it away. Well, which is interesting. I mean, you know, they're still hanging around. Lord knows the you know if DC's attempt to revitalize the nineties uh, succeeds, maybe they'll they'll be in demand once again. Well, yeah, never did. Did you see Jim Lee, um, let's say, angrily responding to comments that uh, DC had a very 1990s lineup? Uh, I think the only thing I saw was the line where he's like, We only have four artists. Yes, we have 52 books and only four artists. Yeah, but still. (laughs) Match our sales against the rest of you or something like that. You know, that was the part that where I think the angry came in. Like, well, let me tell you, we're going to outsell everyone else. I'm like, Oh, man. (laughs) Dude. 
my, my, you're, you're a co-publisher. You're not supposed to talk like that. My you know? favorite comments, uh, or my favorite rumors, I should say, surrounding the DC relaunch, mm-hmm. uh, are right now that not only Jim Lee, but Jeff Johns will also be off Justice League by issue six. Wow. If that is true, <laughs> that's amazing. That's an incredible bait and switch. Oh. Yeah, no, seriously, I, I, that is, that is, that is kind of a traumatizing thing. Uh, well, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how that works out. I mean, didn't wasn't some retailer roadshow info that that people were saying that they thought it was going to be twelve issues for a lot of titles, and instead it's going to be six? Yes, which is so. is kind of stunning. Although I was listening to a, an interview with Jeff Lemire. And he was, you know, very happily talking up Animal Man and Frankenstein. And he says, they're probably only going to last six issues, but I don't care. I'm having so much fun writing them. <laughs> like, he's completely upfront. Yeah, it's probably going to get cancelled after six months. <laughs> wow. But I mean, like, seriously, they can't... You can't... I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by what they're doing. Because if that is true, that means that DC is not... They're kind of not committing to the trade market in the way that they previously used to. You know what I mean? But that backs up other things that has been mm-hmm. said uh, along the lines of they're committing much more to the single issue market. You, right. Did you see hear the comments from another retailer's uh, meeting where they were saying, don't write for the trade. If your story's two issues, your story's two issues. Um, let someone else work out how to put it into collection. Mm. No, which is great. I mean... Frankly, uh, no. I, th- I think that's really good as well. But I think there's going to be more emphasis on single issues, in part because I think there's going to be more emphasis on digital. Well, see, that's what I was also thinking. If they're not, if if they're only doing six issues, like as opposed to like a year long commitment, like not even really seeing how like the first trade sales might do, that means to me that they're putting a huge emphasis on what these numbers do in something close to real time, which means you're looking at at digital. You know, um, where you where you get a much better sense of what your what your sales are like from issue to issue to issue, which is interesting. But like, I don't even know if they have. I mean, because no one's ever discussed it. If they if they have any sense of that stuff, like clearly they of must. D- digital sales. Yeah, of di- well, I mean, in the sense of how much digital sales they can expect from month to month. You know what I mean? Like, well, they they gave they finally gave a number yesterday. Did they? Yeah, print outsells digital six hundred and thirty to one. Right, right. So, I, but I guess what I'm saying is, is like what I'm thinking about is like DC has had their app up for a good chunk of time, and they've dumped a lot of issues into the marketplace. So, but they don't really necessarily have enough sense of. I would think day and date sales because the because that's such such a small piece of what they're doing in the digital marketplace. And I'd be curious if they could really track, like, as for myself, I've sampled a lot of books or picked up a lot of storylines, but there's not, currently, there's not really any title that I am, like, picking up every individual issue as it hits the digital store. You know what I mean? Like, even something like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, which I love and would love to have digitally, I only got it about four issues into the first thing before I kind of stopped. So I'd be really curious to know if they can track, how precisely they can track what people are buying month after month after month after month after month. Do you- oh, I'm, I'm sure they're going to be able to track that. That strikes me as 
Oh yeah, they'll have to be able to, but do they have enough of a picture now to be able to predict how to make that work there is, I guess, what I'm saying. No, and I, I, think, I think all bets are off for print as well, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. say they're going to build that as it happens. They've probably got a, we can't go beneath this line. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. everything else is just going to be, uh, huh, so that's how we did this first month. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I think there, there's so there's so many titles launching at the same time. The date, date throws everything off. The relaunch of the universe, even though it's not really a relaunch, mm-hmm. throws everyone off. Like there's so many variables. I think yeah. everything is an educated guess, or yeah. in some cases, not even an educated guess. Everything is just like a blind guess. <laughs> well, that's what I feel like. I really feel like there's going to be just a shitload of blind guesswork involved. And I I will be fascinated to see how you can basically turn around and estimate like what's going to be happening, you know, three issues in after for somebody's six issue run or something like that, when you're looking at a marketplace that, you know, is you know, you're looking at the reactions of something that you've just acknowledged as one six hundred and eightieth of the tip of the iceberg, you know? I, it just is kind of it's kind of mesmerizing to me. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's 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 a. I'm glad you don't work at DC. Oh my god! Like seriously, I'm just I'm glad I don't own a comic book store. Or oh god, I DC. I'm so glad I don't own a comic book store in the middle of all of this. This is, I mean, it sounds completely insincere to be like my heart goes out to them, but holy shit, they're just getting dumped on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I um. At a certain point, I don't know what it was, but I, I hit that like weird, crucial like Warren Ellis threshold where he basically became like Bono from U two for me, and I just can, can barely listen to anything that comes out of his mouth. But and then was, he went to write Spider Man. It worked. What's it, that? It, then he went to write Spider Man. It pans out. It works. <laughs> oh man, I'm really terrified by the idea of that. Uh, is, has, has Ellis isn't really announced on Spider-Man No, no, he's right not really, no. Oh, thank God. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> it's bad enough we he's doing know. Secret Avengers. Oh. Yeah, no, seriously, at any second. But I did think that his little piece on DC and digital comic strategies was was pretty interesting. You know, his few little pieces on sort of the behind-the-scenes stuff of, of DC um, and and thinking about digital, I think, is uh, is all pretty fascinating stuff um and boy i really was sure that i had a place where i was going with that oh where i think it he um where was it where they were talking about the retailers getting the reach around the the oh yeah the whole thing where he talks about um uh tend to suggest that someone at the company has realized that the comic retailers already have a girlfriend and never like dc anyway I was like, "Wow, that's pretty." Br-. Did you read this little, I'm, little? I'm actually reading it right now. I didn't even know it was there, and I'm reading it. I'm like, "Oh, holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. the 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 thing that he talked about, which I thought was really just on it, was the the point where, um, you know, DC being the attentive suitor while Marvel Comics treated retailers mean to keep them keen. I'm like, I he is not wrong. No, he's entirely know? right. So I, I'm very, I'm really fascinated by the fact that there's this, this, this edge of DC like, <laughs> you know, maybe I, I just, 
I, I kind of, I'm, I'm like, wow, when he puts it this way, like, yeah, I can sort of, like, maybe DC's kind of right to kind of, like, just be like, well, you know, fuck you guys, you know. The, that whole line yeah, about, I, like, I, flying back from the retailer conference so they could go home and order more Marvel comics. I'm like, oh, so it's really pretty pretty fucking apt, I think. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the thing. That's always been the case. Marvel mm-hmm. Marvel has consistently treated its retailers worse than DC has. DC has consistently gone out of their way to mm-hmm. help retailers. And Marvel has always seen the benefit of it, and DC never has. Yeah, yeah, and for it, sure. It's, it's weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, on part, you can, be, and you can kind of say, well, you know, more people are reading Marvel comics. Right. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. More people are reading Marvel comics because more Marvel comics are bought by the retailers to sell to them. Well, I mean, something I'm finding fascinating is um, I was talking to people, I guess, a month ago uh, about Final Crisis and... Uh, not Final Crisis. Fear Itself and Flashpoint sales. Right. Not orders, but sell-through. Mm-hmm. No store I talked to told me that Fear Itself was selling more final, more copies than Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. They were saying at best it was selling evenly. And right. then you look at the charts and there's a massive difference in the orders. Right. And for some reason, retailers seem okay with this, mm-hmm. which kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Well, and, and I wonder I wonder what's going on there. There may be a belief that, I mean, there could be some interesting like behind the screen type stuff like they could very well be convinced that Marvel has much higher sell-through in the back issues than DC does. I would find that hard to believe, but I'm, you know, Comics Experience is such a DC-oriented store, and not much of a back issue one that I sort of, like, I could maybe see that. Um, yeah, no, I agree. But it And, and Fear Itself and Flashpoint are a tough one to, to compare with, you know, at this point in the industry... But but going back, yeah, Marvel Marvel did get the benefit of the doubt consistently, whether or not they really seem to have the sales. Retailers seem to act like they had the sales, but you know it's like when Hibbs talked about like the free overship experiment for DC. Like those titles all sold better when there were more ordered, you know, or or when there were more in the stack essentially. But the, but retailers that, had them to that, sell. The DC books sold. Yeah, that's pretty much logic. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't sell what you don't have. Right. Well, but sometimes you have it and you don't, you can't sell it either. But those experiments really did show, like, no, if you do have these, they will sell. And I'm not sure if people really took lessons from that apart from, like, huh, huh, gee, I wonder how many copies of Spider Island I have to get to get that retailer incentive. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't. I do think that I think that uh, it it will be interesting if DC's attempts to become the big boy on the block are going to actually work just by them insisting that they're now the big boy on the block, though. You know. Yeah, I mean they won't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like history has taught us. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, I, I don't. It's one of these points. Like, I almost feel that DC, DC has to historically just settle into being in second place because Marvel will just be first, just because. Do you know what I mean? Like it's so strange. DC has 
been second for so long mm-hmm. that when they even get within like 10 percentage points of Marvel, oh, yeah. people are like, oh my god, this is big news. It's so weird. It's got like the accepted order that Marvel yeah. is not only number one, but Marvel is so bigger a number one. Well, it, and it's fascinating. I mean, it is fascinating. Like, there was this thing where they were running neck and neck, and suddenly, like, a gear changed, and Marvel pulled way ahead. And it has been that way for the last couple of years. I, I know, again, this is, I keep invoking his name, and sort of, <laughs> he should probably be here to actually say these things. I was going to so. say, if you say his name three times, he is going to appear. <laughs> suddenly, Brian Hibbs is like, whoa! <laughs> uh, I, I... You know, Hips was like, I remember him like saying like, I don't know, maybe a year ago or 18 months ago, like Marvel's only got six months of this left in them. You know, like I see Marvel is eroding their fan base more and more. And I I remember him saying that after Civil War when the initiative launched. Right. Right. Exactly. He said that again. He said it post-World War Hulk. He said it, I think, going into before Siege. And I have to say, at each time, I was kind of like, you know, I think he's right, you know, except he clearly wasn't. Or or fascinatingly enough, the idea is that, you know, is that it's like Marvel stays on top and the entire marketplace somehow manages to shrink, you know. But it's it's really kind of an unhealthy situation, I think, Marvel and the direct marketplace. I I think it, you know, I'll be curious to see... I don't honestly. I just don't believe that you can escape that. Like DC is going to be able to escape that by building, you know, a, a new. <laughs> if you build it, they won't come, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. Well, I mean, Jeff, that Jeff, being said, no, Jeff, yes. Mm-hmm. Jeff, fuck the topic. I'm going to give you another Strangers update. Please. Okay. In yes. issue three. Steve Englehart introduces the villain team of the book, who are called, I shit you not, TNTNT. <laughs> TNTNT? TNTNT. And do you want to know why? Please. Because there's five members one called Tyrannosaur, one called Nyad, one called Torso, one called Neuron, and one called Tugon. Do you get it? It's an acronym. They're TNTNT. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. I You cannot tell me that that wasn't some reworked like animation pitch from Englehart. It, like, it, it gets better. So one of the strangers is called Grenade. Okay? And this okay. is his response to meeting TNTNT. You may be TNT and T toots, but I'm the only one here who explodes. <laughs> he then says, My name's Grenade, and putting my team's name together don't spell diddly. We like it that way. Steve Englehart, you are fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, and this is, this is what the bad guys say. We want our victims to know us. The work we do precludes us from receiving our proper recognition elsewhere. We are the kings of destruction and death. Wow. Okay, so do you think that the TNT and TNT is like some sort of weird I think, coded? I think I included too many TNTs there. Did I? Uh, fuck that. I'm still going for it. TNT and TNT and T. Do you do you think that that is a reference to the the image five or the image six? 
Oh, God, I hadn't thought so. But, you know, there's this whole thing where they talk about, like, knowing their names and then the, the oh, but, you know. We might get the proper recognition elsewhere, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then this whole thing of, like, Engelhart being from this group of people that, you know, worked behind the scenes. Oh, God, see, you're, 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 putting, you're putting a whole new level on this book. <laughs> I'm making me like it more. <laughs> Stop it. Well, A, I could be wrong, and B, the idea that <laughs> it Steve Englehart – well, true. <laughs> also, B, the idea that Steve Englehart would actually be chastising someone else for being too egotistical. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, isn't it? So let's just assume that that's actually what's going on. But uh, One of the, um, the strangers the, – the leader, in fact, is called Lady Killer. Do you get that? Not Lady Killer. Lady Killer because she's a woman. Ah. Whose power is whatever she aims for, she can hit. Now, if you if that was your power, how would you how would you make the most out of that in a superhero type environment? Clue: Your day job is that you're a fashion designer. Okay, I can solve this one. I would take a bunch of naked female mannequins and I would sharpen their heads to spikes, <laughs> and then I would like hurl them at people. Here's the thing. That still makes more sense <laughs> than what she does. She makes herself a costume where she has a, a skirt that she can take off and use as a whip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> That's really what she does. I have to admit, I had no idea that whip skirt uh, should have been the proper idea. <laughs> exactly. that, that was the correct response. <laughs> so what I'm saying, Jarvis, first of all, I really tempted you for the rest of this podcast just to interrupt us when we're talking and be like, no, right. another stranger's facts. And <laughs> second fact. Do you not want this book to be revived? Like, would you not read this if this is being published right now? I don't know. I th- I guess I probably would, but um, I think maybe if it was being done by sort of the right group of people, I guess. Namely Steve Englehart. Yeah, Steve Englehart. Well, or even, you know, I don't know, uh, Jay Stevens. I don't know. You know, I'm trying to think, like, who's got, like, a really good grasp at that of doing the straight-faced absurd take on things, you know? Talking about Um, straight-faced absurd, the second issue features these strangers, one of which, Grenade, in fact, is called Hugh. Okay? mm -hmm. They're chasing a city in the sky that is surrounded by a cloud that obscures it from view. What do you think the story is called? Uh, clue, clue. Think Rolling Stones, and, oh, th- and think puns. See, I was already going for the Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. No, so Hugh City in the okay, but I got to do it with the Rolling Stones. One. Yeah, I, were you really going for Ar- Ar- Armenia City in the Sky? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah something. Sadly, not. Uh, okay, hold on. Uh, let me think here. Uh, I've, I've given you all the ingredients that you need. Rolling Stones, yeah, but Pun, you know, I just... and the character's name is Hugh. <laughs> I don't know. 
jumping it's, it's hack called, flashback. It's called, I don't know. That's the third issue. It's called Hey Hugh, get off of my cloud. <laughs> okay, Graham, it is not fair to make up comic books and comic book titles on the podcast you actually because i'm very naive and that's the stage where i realize you've been fucking with me the entire time and making this all up which is totally not cool i really really wish i was my, my mind is not this good <laughs> hey hugh get off of my cloud yes yes it is right. and on the issue where hard case guest stars between a rock and a hard case and the issue were prototype guest stars, prototype A behavior. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, really. It's it's spectacular. I mean really. And there's like there was like twenty issues of this. I have to get the rest. <laughs> wow. So let me ask you, are you interested in any of the other Ultraverse titles which Yes I, I'm not sure Yes, what? Prime. The Jared Jones, Norm Brayfogle uh, ripoff oh, of right. Captain Marvel. Yeah, the one that everyone thought was actually pretty decent. I mean, or or had some sort of buzz and heat to it, right? Yeah, it really did. It it, it really did. And also, I in my love of car crash comics, I'm mm-hmm. really curious to read the Marvel relaunches because when I went online to basically look, I was like, hey, didn't Marvel buy Ultraverse? Um, right. The the fan response to those issues on there it pretty much acts as if they're the worst comics that have ever been made. <laughs> Which makes me desperately want to read them. Also, right. I, I love that they actually called the the, the uh, cross, well not crossover, but the name of the event to relaunch the books Black September. <laughs> That's actually what they called it. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I really am. I'm like, at the beginning, part of me was wondering why I stayed away from these titles. And, and then you found out. Yes, and now I remember. I, I, I am going to draw you into this title with the internal monologue from Lady Killer uh, mm-hmm. in issue nine. Okay? Right. Bob sure is a good-looking guy. Too bad I'm a good 12 years older than he is. He's 19 and I'm, well, and of course, I'm the leader of the strangers. It's probably harassment for me to get involved with the people I command. No, I have to pilot the ship like I pilot our plane and our careers. That's the kind of life I set out to get, and it's a good life. But I never expected to hit 31 and be the old woman of any group. Maybe I should hit on Bob, just to show I'm not all the way over the hill. I might not be candy, but I can be sweet. Oh, Graham, why are you doing this to us? Why? why? I <laughs> you want to read the night, don't you? <laughs> this goes back to the Brad Meltzer decoded thing. Yes! Terrible things are funny. On, on Twitter, where it's like, I mentioned that Brad's, Brad Meltzer's decoded is like, on on Netflix, watch instantly. And everyone was like, Jeff, it's terrible. None of Seriously! Seriously! That was a horde of people, like, actively warning me away from that show, Graham. Actively warning me That's because none of them understand that bad things are funny. (laughs) Bad things don't have to be bad. They can be funny. There are some bad things that are just bad, sure, but bad things can be amusing. Why does no one seem to get that? (laughs) People are like, 
as a documentary, Brad Nelson's decoded is very upsetting. People are morons, and I'm reading that going, that's why it's good. Why do they, they go, what is a cornerstone? And then you like you have a computer simulation of why a cornerstone is a virtual building. That's funny. Why do people not understand that? I honestly despair for humanity. <laughs> Graham, it is it is such a terrifying world uh, that would come into existence if you, if you were the ultimate arbiter of of, of taste. It's really You're fascinating. Saying, I'm not saying that any of them are good. I'm saying they're enjoyable. No, no, no. I know that's what I'm. I guess that's what I'm saying. Taste isn't the right word. If you were the arbiter of what what actually got on the air, there would just be stuff where people would be like, "I have no idea why this is." Like clearly, this person like, is. Why is the OC on season twelve? <laughs> I clearly not in college anymore. What the fuck? And I'd be like, "Well, I like the OC. I'm sorry, guys. It's not like Adam Cohen has gone on to do Adam Cohen. Adam Brody has gone on to do anything else with his career. Come on." Yeah, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of weird. Like those. Is it just me, or does it seem like those show, like those, a lot of those teen shows, like it's a lot easier for the female actress yes, to, to go on careers. and do something? Yeah, whereas the guys are kind of like, mm. <laughs> I mean, it's totally not a hundred percent true, but if you like look at like nine hundred two one zero, it just seems like a lot of the women were able to get work longer or more easily than most of the guys. Yeah, or, or what happens is the guys, guys go on to do things that you just wouldn't expect. Like Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell has gone on to be like dancing in, with the stars and doing right. like Entertainment Tonight or whatever show he's doing. Do you know what I mean? Like right. they go on to have secondary careers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like Jason Priestley, who I think I'm assuming is still spending as much time like directing TV as as he did ever. That seems but that seems to be like a weird thing that happens to a lot of people, because I've noticed that about half the cast of all of the 1990 Star Trek shows are now directing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which kind of I don't know. I, I don't know if at some point they watched an episode of on reruns and were like, I really can't act. Well, maybe I should do that. <laughs> I think it, no, I, think I mean, like, I, I, I would not be surprised because I've seen Jonathan Frakes in interviews and I've seen him on documentaries, right. and he's a really funny, smart guy. And I honestly would not be surprised if he saw a rerun and was like, "Wow, I'm terrible." <laughs> well, like you said, he's a smart guy. Is I think that is the main emphasis for it. So I think there's that idea of whether you're terrible or not. There's that idea of I'm never going to be in demand forever. And so there's a lot of guys who you know. If you're on a TV show for long enough, you can usually wrangle your way into being able to write an episode or direct it. Sure. I mean, look at Tom Welling. Tom Welling, a man who, let's face it, not the sharpest tool in the box, nor a wonderful actor, but right. now a producer, basically because he stayed with Smallville long enough Yeah. to go from starring in to starring in and directing, starring in directing and producing, and then he became just an executive producer of other shows. Right. Right. Which, you know... Uh, is is not a is I guess the smart way to go. So, um, <laughs> listeners, welcome to our strangest podcast ever. <laughs> Perhaps no can, 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 unintended. Can, can I make this the strangest podcast ever? I want Please. to tell you the subject line of an email I just got. Please, do. this will blow your mind because honestly, it's blown my mind. 
Warner Brothers to throw a key party at Comic-Con 2011. What? Okay, what? <laughs> and here's the crazy part. It's actually a, a genuine PR email from Warner Brothers. It's not like someone just stirring shit. Do they do they actually know what the t- term means? Like, no. what's happening no, well, <laughs> no, they apparently don't. What they mean is, you can get limited edition hotel room key cards with Warner Brothers TV shows on them. Okay, yeah, they really don't know what they mean. Okay, or, or they're going for that classy... Yeah, know. exactly, yeah, that's that's classy. Warner Brothers to throw key party. Seriously. You know, you've got to make people read... I, oh, you're going to read the PR. Like, I have to say, that's a subject line. I would have read the rest of it going, what the fuck? Exactly. What? No. What? <laughs> That would be the most terrifying thing ever. It's like, oh, who's got room 583? Ooh, Dan DiDio. You know, like, seriously, that is... Wow. Okay, so yes, Brandon... (laughs) Dan, your mustache looks lovely. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Yes. So <laughs> that that has you have definitely blown my tiny mind with that news, Graham. This this is just going to go down in, in history as the oddest podcast we have ever done. It it probably should be probably. Uh, you know why? It's because I started with Engelhard. We didn't ramp up to it. No, we didn't. You opened with like the very first lines. I was like, oh, where's it going to go with this? Ooh, no, it's right in come there. on! I wanted to let you know you lived in the world's favorite city. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. I really appreciate that. I, I, oh, no, no. I, I, Just the I, disingenuousness. I, 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 I'm letting you know, Jeff. Of life. Come on. <laughs> exactly. I was doing this as a service for you. So and because for it's all important. San Franciscans. Yeah, exactly. I can walk around and go, do you know the first issue of The Strangers refers to this as the world's it's favorite city? No less once, a person twice. than Steve Englehart. Yes. Yeah, who probably lives over in Oakland. He, does he? Does he not live like really close? Yeah. I, oh, he's in the Bay Area. He's yeah. definitely in the Bay Area. I Tell just me, that, that's what happened. Did he came back and moved here? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Then he moved there and was like, "I really, really, really love this place." Yeah, which happens. It happens to uh, many people. It, it happens to the best of us, Jeff. It does, doesn't it? No one is immune. Um, so hey, here's a comics question. Yes. Did you read uh, Death of Spider Man? One sixty. I flipped through it. I flipped through it. What did you think of it? Well, I mean, it was the part five or something of a storyline, right? Yeah. I mean, so you know, it's in media res. I have not followed the book since maybe two or three issues in of the relaunch with David LaFuente, and I had stopped reading beforehand. So you had told me that it had been sort of become Spider-Man and his amazing friends, but I, so like there were parts where I'm like, okay, here's the human torch. And I think they mentioned Iceman in passing or something like that. But, um, I mean, I was by and large, I was kind of underwhelmed. I sort of thought that the death scene was, more or less well done for what it was, but it had no impact on me because I hadn't been following the... You know, the weird part was because they brought back um, 
Bagley for this. Yeah. There there was that feeling of like I I have to admit there I I think what they were trying to do was people like me who picked up just the last issue because I had last been buying the thing, you know, the majority of my reading was when Bagley was on the title. It had a more immediate emotional connection than I think it would have if it had had a different artist on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's unfair to Lafuente and Eminen and the other people who worked their asses off on that book. But I do have to admit that for me, the lapsed Ultimate Spider-Man reader, I was like, huh. But I have no interest in ever picking up an issue again after that point. I mean, I just... Yeah, that, that's that's part of my problem i guess there was nothing in issue 160 that made me think i want to read the next ultimate spider-man issue one right there was nothing in there which i'm sort of you sort of like and you sort of don't yeah i mean i'm i'm kind of i think i think i i mean it to me it's like a long shot gamble if they had done it where there was a much stronger push to keep to make it seem like the story was going to continue and there was a new Spider-Man in the well, wings and all that sort of stuff. I definitely would have been turned off. Like, as here's it was, the thing. Just, the story does have to continue because the story literally ends with his death. Right. And you need something else. Do you know what I mean? Like, just ending with his death is not a satisfying ending. On, on an emotional level, I guess. <laughs> Because it ends with him dying and Aunt May wailing at the sky. Right. And you, yeah, I, you, I, need, I you need a further beat to actually bring that. it to, yeah. a, to a conclusion. I, su- I suppose that's probably true. I mean, the problem is growing growing up in the 70s, I'm like, no, nah, not necessarily. You know? <laughs> but, you know, like all those that downer is- movie endings. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I, you know, I've watched stupid like movies with redneck car chases where everyone blew up in the last 11 seconds of the movie just because it was the 70s you know and they thought that was a good way to end stuff then (laughs) but no 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 i i i see i sort of see what you're saying but i mean i didn't i didn't buy the issue so i mean maybe there's a whole thing separate and apart from that like i think they were maybe if they hadn't spoiled the issue and I know we've gone into terms about that. It, I mean, it certainly was like, well, I will look at the torrent of this and read the issue. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, I sort of like it was right in front of me. So I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. You know, but i I don't think that I don't think that that ending in the article was strong enough for me. Like when they spoiled it, was strong enough for me to go out and buy the polybagged issue. But it might have been, and maybe there were a lot of lapsed USM readers that were kind of like not so much that you've got the investment for um, uh, Aunt May but like Ultimate Mary Jane and Ultimate Gwen Stacy are both characters that I used to care about and there's part of me that's like maybe I would tune in to for them maybe I'm not but I can almost see how for a lot of lapsed readers as a gamble goes it was not like the strongest one but it might have worked. I definitely don't think it would have worked if there had been, like, Nick Fury had stepped out and said, well, looks like we're going to have to go with Plan yes, B. Yes, let's you activate know? Spider-Man 2. Right, exactly. Or whatever they said. You know what I mean? Like, I would be a little like, nah, I don't know about it. I don't know. I just, I, I made the mistake of reading the whole storyline in a one 
Yeah, that's what you – I saw you say that on Twitter. Which really genuinely was a mistake. It took all the goodwill I had for mm-hmm. the, the storyline and pretty much just crumpled up into a ball and threw it in the trash. It's, yeah. it's a stunningly poorly constructed story in total, but it really underlines how unsatisfying and how mechanical the last issue is. Right. Because you got your bits that are supposed – like clearly meant to be the big emotional moments. Mm-hmm. But they just don't connect. None of them connect. Yeah. And you need you need the loss to be felt in a way that it isn't in a um he says basically, I got him and then dies and Aunt May is holding his body while Mary Jane and Gwen cry to the side. You need something beyond that A to emphasize that he's actually dead. Right. You know, actually, in this uh, sorry, I, I I totally agree with you. You know what would have worked actually was you know that alternate Joe Casada cover. Yes. Um, might have actually worked as a sort of as, as an in story thing to actually see him like go. Yeah, on the very very last page, maybe maybe even after a couple of pages of ads, so that you feel like it's over over over, and then you see that last thing, and yeah, that the the whole you did good kid image actually gave me uh, um would have i think might have provided that for me you know yeah yeah it just um, there, it needed something else to actually finish it but i, I mean reading reading the whole thing through it starts it's very, very funny because bendis has said in the past interviews like you know i always get into things as late as possible you know i i, I cut in and it's like this is the first time he's actually done it and it completely doesn't work the start of uh death of spider-man is Norman Osborn suddenly being alive again. Right. And there's no real explanation. The explanation is pretty much just like, well, he didn't die in the first place. Right. And it's like, no, but he did. Right. And then, like, he escapes through reasoning that is never explained. Yeah. And they're just like, well, this is a fuck up. Send S.H.I.E.L.D. after him, which you'd think would be a thing. But later on in the story, like, he not only, like, tears up New York while killing Doc Ock. He then tears up Queens while killing Spider-Man, and Shield is nowhere to be seen. It's still like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where is Shield? <laughs> They're nowhere. Like, even if they arrived at the again, if you continued for like another ten pages and have Shield arriving after Peter dies, sure, at least tie off. Shield are supposed to be looking for these guys, and Shield are supposed to be competent. Right. They should have appeared. Also, Spider-Man gets shot mm-hmm. on. Uh, whatever bridge it is in the middle of a fight with the Ultimates mm-hmm. which in the course of the Ultimate Spider-Man story mm-hmm. it's three pages wow Okay. when he wakes up after being shot no one is there mm. that's never explained also never explained we know from before he, when he gets shot the media are all covering that fight so why mm-hmm. does no one know this Spider-Man has been shot because we know that Mary Jane's watching the fight. Mm-hmm. So how come she appears later and she doesn't know he's been shot? It makes, it literally, there's things like that happen all the way through it. It's all, this is supposed to up the ante, this is supposed to up the ante, and common sense goes out the window. Yeah. There, well, I think, I think that's it. After Spider-Man gets shot, he has a narration where he's like, this is the end, I'm going to have to take my mask off when I go to the hospital, this is, this is terrible. But he doesn't go to the hospital, he goes to Queen's. Right, mm-hmm. where he shows up without his mask, no explanation why. 
he shows up without his mask because that's what Spider-Man does now after the movies. Well, yes, exactly. That's but exactly but it, right. like it's actually referenced in the dialogue why that's a bad idea. Then mm-hmm. he does it anyway, and it's never explained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, the thing that kills Spider-Man, mm-hmm. he gets caught in an explosion from a car. Mm-hmm. He doesn't die saving Aunt May. Right. He doesn't die killing the Green Goblin. Right. Or doing anything heroic. Well, and, and there's even a certain amount of ambiguity as to whether the, the Goblin's actually dead. At yeah, exactly. Yeah, he seems to be smiling, so he seems to be at least partially alive. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but it's just, I mean, the whole thing is just... Yeah, it well, it all mean, happens because the writer wants it to happen. It's, it's, it's horrible when you read it all yeah. back and you, you read it without the gaps in between that have led you to forget the horrible parts of the previous chapters. Right. It's just terrible. Like, the first chapter has Captain America saying, we all die, one day we're all going to die. You you don't have the guts to do what it counts. We're all going to die. Do you know we're going to die? We're going to die. And, of course, Spider-Man gets shot. No, 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 wait, wait, Graham. I'm sorry. I was, I was, could you repeat that? I was away from the, I was away from the microphone. Actually, I just want you to say that so I can edit in another 35 seconds. Because that's our next, that's after Wolverine is Graham doing Captain America. Is that Uh, a pretty much my Wolverine impression? It totally was, but instead of fuck you, it's like, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're all going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It's like, dude, okay, just keep saying that. Because I don't think that was long enough for like an actual season clip, but that's a good enough reason not to do it again um yeah (laughs) so he says all that and of course spider-man then jumps in front of a bullet for the man who told him that he didn't have the guts yada 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 however captain america then shows that he's a complete dick by apparently leaving a dying spider-man bleeding on the ground okay and i know the ultimate captain america is supposed to be a dick but still no one thought like no one at all in all of new york Thought that right. they should go and help him. Really? Can I, did are you saying that Spider Man actually jumped to take a bullet uh, for the character who has a motherfucking shield? Yes. Oh my god! Like, wait, let's make wait, that did, even wait, more did, pathetic. Did you not know that's how how that's how the whole no, thing happened? So, I didn't know so how he got to, shot. It well, just um, sounded the stupid. Plot, the plot is this: uh, Norman Osborn suddenly isn't dead again. Right. Magically escapes. Not only magically escapes, magically escapes in the same accident or whatever it is that is never explained that I'm sure Bendis is going to pick up later and be like, it wasn't an accident at all. They're scrolls. But magically escapes <laughs> the same accident that also releases all the rest of the Sinister Six. They all then team up for no mutually apparent reason and go to New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Jane tells Spider-Man that is happening. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh shit, they all know who I am. They're going to go to my house. Right. I've got to get there. So on the way to his house, he swings by the Ultimates fight. Mm-hmm. Literally, in three pages, sees the Ultimates fight, sees Punisher with a gun aiming Captain America, jumps in front of a bullet, end. That's the totality of the Ultimates crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they're not there. They don't appear in the book again at all after that. In fact, I could be wrong. I don't think the fight is actually even mentioned after that. And there's like three more issues to go. <laughs> wow, this is just such a turd. Oh, it's, oh. it's stunningly bad. Um, so yeah, so and then 
he wakes up and he's like, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm uh, it's the end of me, I'm dying, I'm dying. I'm going to go and fight some guys outside of my house now, if that's okay with you. <laughs> um, and then goes and fights the, the ultimate six or sinister six, whatever they're called, except for Doctor right. Octopus, who has been killed at this point by the Green Goblin. Right. For no immediately apparent reason. <laughs> um, so they, he goes and fights... Uh, Electro, by the way, gets killed by Aunt May, who shoots him with a gun. Wow. It gets better. Wow. First of all, I thought Ultimate Electro, like, turned into electricity, and that's why he was all, like, lightning bolt guy. But mm-hmm. if he is, apparently electricity can be killed with a gun. Well, everyone knows that. <laughs> also, Ever since Ben also, Franklin used to hunt it <laughs> in the ranges. <laughs> wow, history is so much better. Um, the best part is, so, when I <laughs> does that... Electro not only dies, or at least gets shot unconscious, It's again, it's completely unclear, he takes out Sandman and, I think, the Vulture. Oh, that's fucking convenient. Yes, because at this point, they're running out of pages. And, you know, right. they've, they've really just got to get to the point where the Green Goblin shows up and kills Spider-Man. Except, of course, the Green Goblin doesn't kill Spider-Man. Right. It's an exploding It's an exploding car. Well, this is the thing that I think sucks some serious butt. I, well, anyway, I'm sorry. I should let you finish no, no, your no, ranting. No, so no, I no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done. My, my rant is done. No, my rant is done apart from this one thing. Mm-hmm. I can see that Spider-Man dies making a heroic sacrifice. I can see that, but that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. I can see Spider-Man dies from something entirely random. But again, that's not what happens. That doesn't quite happen either. Yeah, because the car explodes because he's just used it to pummel the Green Goblin. Right. So it's not random. Right. So it's like yeah. it's like they're like, hey, with great power comes great responsibility. Or you know, this could happen. Right. Well, which sort of sounds like Spider-Man got killed for being a dumb asshole. You know what I mean? Like first he like jumps in front of uh, to take a bullet for a guy who actually has a shield, and then he uses uh, a car loaded with gasoline to pummel a villain. Actually, I, um, I'm going to have to look at the issue because it might not even be a car; it might be a tanker. Now that I think about it, and I, I, I'm not actually joking. I, I, <laughs> I looked through it very quickly. I could have sworn it was a car, but maybe it might be because I know that he gets. I'm just trying to remember what he uses. What, uh, what um, Mary Jane uses to... It's a truck. Oh, it's a truck. truck. It might be a refrigerator truck. Oh, okay. Okay, it's a truck. A refrigerator truck. Also, the Green Goblin has brand new powers. Like, the Human Torch goes up against him, and somehow he sucks all the power out of the yeah, Torch. Right, okay, I noticed that, and I was like, oh, well, I guess this is something that they actually, like, had dealt with earlier, the Green Goblin's yeah, new I, powers. I, I guess this is something that we, they've not just come out of nowhere no it has oh my god really uh well, it wasn't referenced in anything i'd read before right right uh yeah i'm why am i looking for this also while i'm while i am complaining about plot holes mm-hmm. spider-man gets shot in the middle of uh, a televised news fight that is apparently on all the channels which is a, a point made earlier in the book right somehow the Human Torch and Iceman, who are out on a date, don't find this out at all on their date or on the way home. Right. Somehow, they, first of all, this means New York is not that upset about this massive fight that is happening in the middle of it. Because you think, right. you know, someone would have said something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And secondly, neither of them have, I guess, phones or 
they're well, not, yeah, they're exactly. not anywhere that has like a television on or a radio uh, and no one's like you can't see it from where they are like apparently you can't see like firefights and explosions from Queens or maybe you can and you just think well I guess that's the ultimates and you don't, you're not that bothered mm-hmm. I don't know it's uh, the whole thing the whole thing yeah no it's uh it's pretty crappy, but I have to say, like, I went from being, like, the dude who, like, read, not just read Bendis, I, like, bought Bendis books, including, like, I had, you know, I don't know, the first 70 or 80 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man. That's a huge commitment for me, in a way, and I just quit, like, again, there's that moment of, like, seeing Ultimate Gwen Stacy, like, uh, on the cover for Ultimate Fallout or whatever, and I'm like, oh, right, this is why I'm not you know, that was always a big sign to me of Bendis's biggest failure. Like, the whole... Which, which part about that was Gwen Stacy? The part well, uh, yeah, yes. Where she died or came back as a monster? Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much, essentially. The the whole, her, her death and that whole storyline was so badly handled. Like, I remember the, you know, bitching about it in a review because... Uh, because Bendis does this weird bullshit where he like cuts to the the big finale is actually being narrated from part by Peter in a flashback, and I'm like, why are you sapping this of all the tension? That, but that's what he does. Do you not remember the end of Secret Invasion where, for no reason whatsoever, the last issue is suddenly being narrated by someone in the future? Oh God! Right. Right, no, I didn't. I didn't bother with the last issue of Secret Invasion. That's yeah, that, oh, does exactly the same thing at the end of it, and they're all like. And the worst part is, he uses that to acknowledge that his story makes no sense, which I think he thinks makes it okay. Yeah. When he has yeah, characters yeah. being like, "Yeah, I don't know what happened. This happens. I don't know where he got that power from," and you're like, "That doesn't make it all right." Acknowledging yeah. that your story has a plot hole does not make the plot hole go away. Yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't even, like... And it's not even like this is stuff where that whole idea of, like, oh, I'm going to come back and revisit this stuff. Like, he does a real shitty job at revisiting so many of his things that are sloppy. Anyway, his first didn't... His first Ultimate 6 miniseries, wasn't that, like, five issues of setup, and then in the sixth issue, he, like, does a super quick magic tap dance and get it all resolved? But but then there's the seventh issue, because, you know, some of it goes on to the sixth. Right, exactly. It's like like, like the Great Ten, DC's Great Ten, which was nine issues. (laughs) Except it's the opposite. Where was because Ultimate Six got the Great Ten's tenth issue. Oh, is that what happened? It was was an unofficial Marvel DC crossover. (laughs) (laughs) A a little issue exchange. That's that's kind of an interesting idea. Um, Yeah, no, I mean Bendis is. It's it he he. He is a guy who's been working in the medium for so long and is so sloppy. Like, is really, like, I'm always shocked by the stuff that comes out of his mouth that seems completely contrary to um, what's actually happening on the ground in his own work. I mean, it is stunning to me. Speaking of which, that little... um, Newsarama quote that you had that was kind of killer the the one where he's talking about was it to Newsarama the thing where he's talking about like helping out the retailers oh that was actually to comic book resources but I stole I stole that particular element of it for Newsarama yeah because it's a really good point well I will let you embellish now (laughs) 
You want me to embellish now? Well, it, it's, it was just a funny thing, especially because, did you see in the comments? Someone's like, no, it was up in Comixology and day of release. Ben just literally has no idea what he's talking about. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I think, I think you did point that out. So uh, we should backtrack. Bendis said this thing in a comic book resources interview uh, that he was glad that he was able to help out some of his retailer pals by <clears throat> doing an event that could that was not digital day. That, that was yeah, that was not digital day and date, so that people had to go into the stores because he knows they're suffering. Which, on one hand, is a passive aggressive backhand to DC for going day and date. On right. the other hand, it's really embarrassing because all the ultimate comics are supposed to have been day and date for the last, I think, six months. Um, and I don't know. It just it's it's Ben just being his whole. I care for the industry. Other guys don't care for the industry. But it was like the Brevard did the same thing with his old. We know it. A Marvel here does it editorially mandated storylines. Maybe some other people do, but not us. Which is like really crazy right. passive aggressive bullshit. It's passive aggressive bullshit, and it's not even true. Yeah, you yeah. know. I, I mean, I think that's the. I mean, I, I'm sure that they think that there are these very fine distinctions about what they do and how um, mandated it is compared to the stuff that gets done by DC. But it's it's just absolutely absurd. Anyway, I was really shocked when he, you know, both that Bendis said it was wrong. Um, and just that he kind of had the audacity to say, like, hey, I'm s- sticking up for the retailers. It's like, really? Like, you really think that? You've been participating in milking these things. Re- you know? Oh, no, he's, he. I think he firmly believes he's sticking up for the retailers. Remember his response to DC's day and date news. Like, his first thing was saying that it was uh, fucking retailers in the ass. His mm-hmm. first public comment about it. Hmm. Well, I, I'm... I, I'm not sure that he's not wrong, you know, on the other hand, like, I'm like, if he really cared about it, maybe he should ship powers on a regular schedule, you know? <laughs> That's not going to happen, Jacob. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's pretty easy to say that sort of shit while you're cashing your checks from Marvel, but, like, the idea that you're, like, going to poop out, like, Tycho out of your butt and have it be kind of terrible, you know? Did you, and- did you not like Tycho? I, I couldn't even get the name right. Clearly, I loved it. You know? <laughs> Did you read it? No, no, I didn't read it. I listened to you talk wait, about wait, it. Didn't I give you my copy? No, no, it was in it was in your big box of toxic sludge, and I did not take it. I probably should have. I actually, yeah, I, I I kind of wish I'd impressed it upon you now. Yeah, what well, you did the opposite. I held it up and you said, "Oh, that's so terrible." It is, you did. It is terrible. I'm not wrong, but I, <laughs> I, I, I forgot how much you like powers. That's what I'm saying. Like, it would have been really interesting for you to read because you like powers so much. Yeah, I I do do like powers. It probably would have like made powers. you like powers less, admittedly, but still. Well, considering I finally, finally, finally fucking stopped buying powers, I think that thank God that that was not necessary. But yeah, no, I'm still, it's weird. I'm still, this is how much it, I, you know, I guess there's, you know, never a, a more bitter enemy than a, a friend betrayed, if I can break out the Stan Lee-isms. But yeah, I have no patience for Bendis' shit, and yet I still scrutinize the hell out of the Powers TV pilot casting. I was like, Jason Patrick, I'm not sure that's a good choice. Why'd they pass off Katie Sackhoff? Like, yeah, I, I have to be said, Lucy Punch and Jason Patrick is like, 
so you couldn't afford the good people. I mean, no offense to those particular actors, although kind mm-hmm. of offense to them, but they're not, they don't strike me as right for the part. I guess they must have had incredibly good auditions. They could have. I could see where Jason Patrick's got a certain amount of pull. I mean, he's he's kind of, uh, he's a guy with like amazing talent that is never, to as far as I can tell, shown any interest in developing it. Let's, like I, let's just leave it as he's a guy. I think we'll agree on that. <laughs> oh, you actually haven't liked his other uh, I, work that I, he's done? I honestly can't even think of what else he's done apart from, let's see, what has he done? This he is- was good in uh, My Friends and Neighbors. He was amazing in After Dark, My Sweet, but admittedly that was like uh, please the first tell me Please tell me did. you're remembering this offhand. And oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I was going to say, I'm like, here I go where I break out the... You know, fun see. trivia. I oh, didn't wow, see the sequel wow. The Speed. Yeah. The, the Losers he was in. Oh, right, which I didn't bother with. He was in Tilda. It was Tilda ever released? It says that as if Tilda was shown. Tilda? Which one's Tilda? Tilda, I don't think it was ever shown. Tilda is the HBO pilot based upon the woman whose name I've entirely forgotten. Nikki Fink from Deadline Hollywood. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Nikki Fick. Really? Huh? Yeah, and yeah, I don't I think it's think ever, she... ever, ever screened. It definitely wasn't picked up for series. Uh, it had Diane Keaton as Tilda Watsky, a.k.a. Right. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then lots of various people, including Wes Bentley. Do you remember Wes Bentley? Yeah, Wes Bentley. Well, apparently he had some addiction problems, but dude, uh, he was in Ghost... It, it was like, he had this horrific career trajectory of like, American Beauty... Ghostwriter, you know, it's like, 